Hello, and welcome to Amplify Archaeology. Islands Passage Tombs are some of our most iconic and spectacular monuments. Dating to the time of the first farmers during the Neolithic period, how were such sophisticated and elaborate monuments constructed? What was the society like of the people that built them? We had the opportunity to talk to Dr Jessica Smith of University College Dublin. Jessica's working on a really interesting project called Passage Tomb People that's funded by the Irish Research Council. The project seeks to understand who built these tombs and what their society might have been like. How did their economy allow such spectacular and complicated monuments to be constructed? I hope you enjoyed today's programme. I certainly found it fascinating. Welcome to Amplify Archaeology. I'm delighted to be here today with Dr Jessica Smith and we're going to be talking about passage tombs. So Jessica, before we get into it, I mean, like I'm a bit of an archaeological omnivore. I, mm-hmm. I, I love pretty much all, all periods. I find all of it interesting, but there is something particularly special about passage tombs, isn't there? Yeah. Why was it that you chose to, what was it about them that you really loved? Ooh, yeah, good question. Um, I suppose my research background is yeah is in prehistory, is in the period of time that we would call the Neolithic, <laughs> which we associate with the appearance of farming. And we know that the arrival of farming changes society in, in pretty fundamental ways, pretty dramatic ways. There's things that human communities seem to be able to do um, either better or for the first time after things like domesticates, you know, animals and crops are introduced. So it, it's okay. a really fascinating kind of step in our journey, I suppose, as a human sure. species. Um, and per- personally, kind of doing my kind of doctoral research and, and early stuff like that, I was really interested in um, the detail of daily life. So yeah. what people were doing, how they were living in the landscape, how they're communi- communicating, all that sort of thing. And mm. the, where, where kind of passage tombs slot in is that there's such an impressive kind of visual statement mm. on the landscape. So big, big stone monuments from this period when we know that people are farming and presumably making a decent job of it. Yeah. Um, but for me, the, the connection between these big monuments, which we know, you know, t- must have taken a huge amount of, of investment and time and labour, all that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and resources, and what was kind of um, underlying that? How were they being supported? Um, you know, we were assuming some of these undertakings needed some serious, you know, some serious kind of support whether that was you know the, the details of food uh-huh. or kind of time off or that sort of thing so Absolutely. um there seemed to be a kind of a, a gap there in the research um, mm. what was underpinning i guess the resources underpinning this um amazing series of endeavors that we see in kind of we say the fourth millennium bc so in around six thousand three and a half thousand years ago yeah if you're talking about the island of ireland yeah yeah i, I think they just mm. uh, it, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because as a monument, when we're looking at something that old, mm-hmm. that long ago, yeah. there's such a clear expression for me, passage tombs, mm-hmm. of uh, a community or a tribe that it, it needs so many people. You can imagine, yeah. you know, the person who's almost the architect, if you like, yeah. there's, there's the religious side of it. It's like, um, 
it's the first real uh, for me it's the mm. first tangible kind of mm. glimpse at that sense of community in our early yeah. history I think they're really fascinating monuments mm. I suppose we should yeah. really define what a passage tomb yeah. is yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, to get going um, could, could you define it a little bit for us and, and are they just an Irish monument or do we find them elsewhere yeah. as well Okay, well, definitions are always slippery because the moment you start to put, you know, lines around things, you find exceptions. But I suppose if we look at it kind of archaeologically, mm -hmm. um, the distinction is often made between two types of funerary monument or mortuary monument. So these things that see kind of human remains in them, hence kind of to the word tomb in that, yeah. in passage tombs. So, um, yeah, traditionally archaeologists have distinguished between a chambered tomb, so this is just a simple um, stone monument that has kind of a simple central chamber or okay. stone box or, you know, a container, if yes. you know, for want of a better word. Whereas passage tombs, it's kind of, the, including the, the passage in that, it's kind of recognising there's a bit of a difference between the inner space and outer space. So there's mm. an increasing distance. There's a, a, a routeway, if you like, or a pathway from the outside of the mm -hmm. monument into the inside mm -hmm. and that's what you see increasingly um, in these mines and again or we'll possibly come back to it later in our conversation but chronology is, is a, t a difficult thing to nail with these monuments because you can't date stone itself yes. um, but if you're looking broadly broadly at these monuments the simple chamber tombs seem to be earlier in the sequence mm -hmm. with kind of passages developing over time so it does seem to be something that a phenomenon that develops this distinction between inside space, outside space, and linking them. To become um, more elaborate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And definitely when you're talking about the, the Boyne Valley tombs, that is yes. really kind of the zenith, that is, you know, passive tombs on steroids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, in terms of where they, where they are, um, they're not just an island of Ireland phenomenon. You see them all along kind of the Atlantic facade. Uh -huh. So down into Spain and southern Spain and Portugal, Brittany, so western France. Mm -hmm. um, we know, again, as, as much as you can get from the, the chronology, that these continental monuments, so continental mm. Europe monuments, are earlier. So okay. there, there's a bit of a lag there. And okay. again, we are still quite away from determining the, the exact timing, the exact sequence, and was it a simpler case of you know, people copying things they may have possibly not seen. Probably mm. the distances are too great in time for somebody to have seen something directly and going, right, we're going to build that here, but definitely yeah. maybe ideas have been passed down through society. So we don't know exactly of the, the sequence, uh -huh. but definitely the, the, the monuments that are in, you know, France, um, kind of Western France, Spain, Iberian Peninsula are earlier. Okay. Probably at least a few centuries earlier than the monuments we're seeing in Ireland, maybe up to a thousand years earlier. So it's a bit of a lag. And do you think, leading on from that, do you think that there's um, the appearance of passage tombs a mm -hmm. few centuries later in Ireland? Mm -hmm. Do you think that, is there a way of telling whether that came about from people moving from those places, from Spain, Portugal, mm. or um, France, or mm. do you think that it's people who's bumped up against the idea from trade? Is, is that yeah. what your project is looking at as such? Um, no, it's not so much concerned with the, the kind of the continental origins, okay. um, because gosh, you could, you could spend several decades uh, <laughs> yes. that, and it's very yeah. wide and you need kind of lots and lots of data to file into that mm -hmm. um in terms of the movement 
we, we know people are, are you know accessing the seaways and, and riverways there you know mm-hmm. and, and it's not just a neolithic farming phenomenon yeah. the, the movement of, of animals of humans of species especially um, the results coming out of ancient genetics analysis are showing us yes. that yeah. people are moving really long distances in prehistory mm-hmm. so I imagine and um, prior to passage tombs ever being built you know millennia before there are sea journeys so people are exploring new, new lands new areas mm-hmm. how long they stay whether they establish themselves fully we're mm. still unpicking that mm-hmm. um but definitely you have to see the passage tomb phenomenon i suppose against a background of um yeah western seaways kind of back and forth so yeah. one thing we kind of we like to tell students and lectures for example is you have to see waterways as the ancient motorways yeah. so these are the, the the places that are giving people um access to to new areas rather than barriers mm-hmm. because you you have to see the landscape as being pretty heavily wooded as well and the terrain mm-hmm. and quite often it's much easier to um to cross you know the water rather than to to hike around or over mountains or bogs or you know forests that sort of thing so that's yeah. that's that's really interesting mm-hmm. and it's, it's interesting as well considering it mm-hmm. as atlantic seafarers that mm. kind of mm. suggests a lot of skill and seamanship yeah, in a way it, you know yeah, it, yeah. it's a much uh, tougher proposition than say yeah. the mediterranean yeah. for example for yeah. people to move around so it's yeah. really interesting to yeah. think of people moving back in that remote prehistoric period yeah. perhaps even earlier than the neolithic as well yeah. um you know the spreading ideas and technologies and mm. techniques mm. And, and ways of life it's very interesting but could you tell me a little mm. bit more about your specific project mm. then Okay, so give, having kind of said to you that the passage tomb phenomenon kind of spreads along the Atlantic facade, there's there's three kind of key zones or study areas that I want to get get to the bottom of with this project, and that's um, Ireland, Isle of Ireland, um, North Wales, the region around North Wales, and the Orkney Islands. Okay. Um, and these are all areas which see passage tomb activity. Yeah. And they're also areas that are particularly closely related culturally. So we really know. There's a lot of exchange there. We see huge similarities in kind of material culture, so pottery, mm-hmm. um, things like that, uh, burial practice. In some cases, some of the monuments in, in these different landmasses are, you know, almost blueprints of each other. So really like okay. uncanny similarities that you think, gosh, there must have been a much closer um, toing and froing among these areas. So they, mm-hmm. they must have been aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, up, up in the, the Northern Isles and Orkney, even though that, that seems to, I suppose, our modern sensibility is very, very remote. Again, yeah. we're thinking along the lines of, you know, national mm-hmm. boundaries and the ideas of core and periphery, yeah. which is kind of politically and economically kind of, I suppose, decided today. But these are, these are regions that are much more in touch. So, yes, yeah, so I'm focusing on these three areas to try and unravel, you know, what passage tunes are about. Mm-hmm. And well, the project's called Passage Tomb People, mm-hmm. um, and in a in a way, it's 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 getting it, it, it's exploring what what these communities are are made out of. You know what what's what resources, what subsistence strategies are underlying these. So I'm really okay. interested in. They're obviously they're farming communities, so they're yeah. you know, I presume they're 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 raising crops, they're they're, they're raising animals. Sure. Um, are the are the communities in each of these regions doing similar things? Is there a, a certain way or a certain process to kind of to nailing farming or setting yourself up kind of fairly comfortably that you then have the time to build these monuments? So what yeah. are kind of done? So what's the relationship between say daily life, uh-huh. getting by, and doing something extraordinary like building a new grange or a mace hell in Orkney or 
bring Kathleen Dean Anglesey. So. That's fascinating. Yeah. It really is. And, and you know, just just following on from uh, from one thing that you mentioned there about the similarity between mm-hmm. some of these sites that are quite distant mm-hmm. geographically, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. Do you think that in a in the way that you have the great master masons of the medieval period who travelled around building cathedrals and churches or mm-hmm. castles and so on, could you see something like that for Neolithic Europe, perhaps that you had? Experts mm. in constructing it—is that something that you think we'd be able to? It's do? it's really interesting. You, I mean, it's just you kind of have to wonder how you would go about setting setting up an experiment to kind of to, to prove that or explore mm. that. Yeah. Um, there is, there are arguments, broad kind of I suppose theoretical arguments that things are getting more and more specialised. So okay. as people get better at farming and um, mm-hmm. working their environment, tapping into their environment and exploiting its many resources that gives you more time, you know, yeah. to specialise in this or the other. Um, and we do see it definitely with the, the, the smaller artefacts, so the portable artefacts, things like the, the beautiful mace heads yes. the Neolithics, which yeah. again are, are shared around kind of mm-hmm. uh, Orkney and, and kind of Northern Britain, I suppose, in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, extraordinary, you know, really de- detailed skilled stuff, be far beyond the, the needs of like daily, you know, day-to-day getting by sort yes. of thing. Um, and pottery you see it as well. Mm-hmm. And, Again, some of the similarities, for example, between Wales, North Wales and Ireland are so similar. You do wonder, oh, is that, you know, is that a kind of a, a specialist in there or, as you say, a, a master craftsperson or a mm-hmm. potter? So if you kind of accept that on that level of smaller objects, mm-hmm. yeah, may, maybe there are um, these these specialists. And I suppose I, I draw the distinction or the line between a, a specialist in a, in a group, a recognised expert and hierarchy because we we yeah. really don't know about that you know if, if okay. there was kind of a ranked society in that sense mm-hmm. um but i think it's it's fully possible that we have yeah within within each community there are recognized specialists like, like we have today i suppose people who just do certain things just that bit better so you know Absolutely. they're the person who do that thing and, yeah. and they're given the resources to be able to focus on yeah yeah that, that exactly. valuable skill to the community yeah. um and you know we've touched on it a little but you know, when we look at Ireland, we've got a, a range of megalithic mm. tombs. We have car tombs, portal tombs, yep. passage tombs, and, and cairns, and or, 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 you know, there's a good bit of variety. Mm. Why do you think that is? Do you think that that's evidence of a, a kind of evolution of thought mm. or culture or practice, or do you think that it's actually representing different? cultures to a degree mm-hmm. different communities maybe people that's coming from outside or people adopting a new way of being in the world mm-hmm. do you think that there's a difference along those kind of lines well there, I suppose there's a, a few things going on here mm-hmm. and some of it um some of it is the baggage we bring yes. to as archaeologists in the 21st century uh-huh. and trying to classify yes and put yeah. lines around things um you know to make it because you know you have to classify anything whether you're a geologist or a mathematician or you you have to start putting labels on things so some of us are our labels and our biases uh-huh. and the patterns that we see as modern people mm. and some of it, yeah obviously is is it's cultural difference uh-huh. um so when i earlier when i said oh you know as soon as you started to trying to define passage tombs you find all the exceptions uh-huh. i definitely think you can go too far down that line and you know okay. or down that road and and distinguish between well it's you know it's a certain shape so it has to be fit into box a or it's yeah. that sort of thing yeah. but if you look at um 
a number of factors. So landscape is a really good example. Mm. Um, archaeologists would have noticed that um, the earlier early monuments like um, court tombs and portal tombs, for example, mm -hmm. they seem to occupy different spots in the landscape to passage That's right, yeah. So they tend to be tucked away a little more, um, more connected with river systems, with valleys, a mm -hmm. um, bit more enclosed, you know, not mm -hmm. making that big visual statement on the landscape. Mm -hmm. um, and then people have noticed that passage tombs, mm -hmm. by and large, uh, tend to be much more prominently situated. So yes. they're up higher in the landscape, and there's a good deal more intervisibility mm -hmm. um, with different passage tombs or other things. So they're kind of almost made to be seen a bit more. And so yeah, so people said, well, is that is that a difference in, in community structure maybe? Passage uh -huh. tombs are maybe designed to speak to a larger area, a larger population, or, okay. you know, uh, pulling together different different networks like a regional ruler maybe yeah, or something along yeah, those kind of lines yeah um so it's so you can start to pull it out that way if you yeah. think less about you know plans or you the know, form of them yeah, yeah. um yeah, okay. another way well chronology as, again as much as you can be worried there are differences in chronology kind mm. of so mm. portal tombs and court tombs tend to be some of the the earliest um, monuments, stone mm -hmm. monuments we see in the Neolithic, so they seem to belong to an earlier phase, and mm -hmm. definitely those those big boring tombs, the mega ones, are, yeah. are mm -hmm. much later than that, kind yes. of towards the end of the fourth millennium. Mm -hmm. Though again, sorry, archaeologists always have caveats. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the the smaller, simpler passage tombs are kind of nudging into that earlier territory as well. So yeah, again. As soon as you almost you say something, yeah, <laughs> you're disproved. Um, so yes, we're we're still working through chronology, and radiocarbon dating is really important part of that. Um, yeah. But yes, if you look at different tomb quote unquote types, and start to look at their landscape um, situations, start to look mm. at the types of activities, the types of um, gr grave goods or objects are associated with, there I think there are sufficient differences that you can say people are treating these differently there's there's reasons why you know they're they're building the way they are and another actually mm. key distinction is between this linear and circular distinction mm. so the earlier monuments especially the court tombs uh -huh. tend to be long linear kind of gallery like so there's a series yeah. of chambers very kind of long monuments whereas a lot of the the passage tombs are defined by their circular curve so they're mm. they're in the round even though there you know, there might be a passage kind of leading into the center still on the outside they look like round mounds so again okay. archaeologists have have recognized that from a fairly early stage of going oh is there a yeah some sort of symbolism some difference some in between a yeah between a long yeah. monument and a, a circular monument interesting so, yeah uh, and do you think um one thing like you know i i, I was fortunate to get the opportunity to to look at uh, what appears to be a passage mm. up in the dublin mountains oh, yeah. and yeah, I, I always wondered, was there a bit of a territorial statement with, with these? So many of our um, passage tombs mm. tend to be on mountaintop mm. locations. Mm. As you say, they're so prominent. Do you think that, you know, that could be a, a factor that it's a territorial thing, that it is, that, that, you know, there might be a cultural element to it as well? So I, it goes back to what you were saying about were it sighted in the landscape yeah. that's for reasons. It, yeah it, it could be it's definitely um it's definitely a valid hypothesis mm. um i suppose with that though i i would like to test it i'd like yeah. to see um mm. because i think lots of these statements about territorial markers mm. they can go unchallenged a bit yeah absolutely um, and then you know if you start talking about territorial markers and you're, you're talking about 
chiefs and you're talking about dynasties you get to and a hierarchies. Feudal system pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you kind of go, oh, well, hang on, what's our, what's our evidence? Yeah. So, for example, with the, the Pathogen People Project, mm-hmm. one way you could explore that is to look at mobility and, and distance in, in human communities and in animal communities. So, are people. Okay you know, extra wide ranging? Are they going into these areas which are linking up larger and larger aspects of the landscape? That sort of thing. That's really interesting. Um, so it's, it's about, I suppose, finding complementary strands of evidence yeah. to, I don't know if you could ever prove or disprove they were territorial yeah, markers, but yeah. to make one explanation more likely than another. Well, that's exactly. And that's part of the challenge, isn't it? That mm. when we're dealing with that kind of remote part of mm. uh, prehistory in a way that becoming definite about anything becomes dangerous, you know. Um, we can only deal with assumptions based on the evidence that's in front of us. But I think it's really interesting to look at a project like yours that's touching on so many different forms of evidence to build that more complete story uh, about the whole cultural aspect of, of passive tombs and the daily life aspect uh, and how they fit in. And I suppose we've mentioned them a couple of times, it's hard to think of passage tombs in Ireland without thinking of the Boyne Valley. Yes. Tombs. Yeah. Why are they so different, in a sense? Why are they so grand? Uh, why do you think they were? Why do you think that part of Ireland as well was, was merited those tombs? I mean, it's a beautiful yeah. bit of the country. Yeah. I'm not disparaging <laughs> yeah, me yeah. by yeah. any <laughs> stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Um, it's a lovely mm-hmm. river Boyne there, and so on. But is there anything we could think about in those kind of ways? Do you think? Why? Why do you think they are so remarkable? Well, I think. I think there's two things we need to be uh, conscious of. Um, there's definitely in the the archaeological research traditions. There's definitely an east-west bias. <laughs> okay. So you know, east coast monuments pitted against west coast cemeteries. Mm-hmm. So Caramore, Carquito, which are magnificent monument complexes themselves. Yes. And something like Misagon Maeve, Queen Maeve's Cairn, mm-hmm. while unexcavated, is very likely to be another mega passage tomb. Yes. So stunning. Um. But in, so once we accept that there's there's probably one, you know one part of the island isn't you know skewed. Um, yeah. Okay. I think um, I think it's probably a combination of uh, the the resources around the Boyne. So it's a very um, resource rich area. Always okay. has been. Mm-hmm. And if you if you take that trans- transect through time, it's mm-hmm. been politically economically important. You know, all the, well, all the way up to the present day, kind of medieval period, the kind of industrial revolution in Ireland, okay. it's a very bountiful area. So yes, it's dry, okay. it's fertile, all these sorts of things. So it's, you know, it, it makes sense to be a, a place that becomes special, I suppose, early on. Sure. Also, I think it, it's facing out into the Irish Sea. So okay. it's, it's okay. communicating that place, it's communicating with all those regions I mentioned. So yes, with, okay. with North Wales, up into Scotland, and there's very much, and we see that with the archaeological evidence, not just passage to, you know, kind of date, but much earlier to similar types of monuments are built, similar types of pots are manufactured. There is mm-hmm. this um, Irish sea zone kind of, I don't know, synergy mm-hmm. going on. So it, it could be that one of the reasons the, the Boeing tombs became so mega yeah. um, was this interplay, this interaction across the Irish sea zone. Okay. So... Uh, I don't know, some people have described it as a kind of a conspicuous consumption or competitive um, kind of thing. So, mm. the, you know, the people are in touch with what's going on in, in other places ac- across the sea, across the water, and they want to you know, emulate that or 
that sort of thing. So it could be those social interactions. Again, it goes back mm. to the, the picture of geography of mm. that period that mm. you know the east coast of ireland mm. might have been a central part a, a, yeah. as you say to that irish sea culture yeah, if you like yeah, yeah. it it, it mm. might maybe mm. that's too specific a term but you know it, uh, rather than mm. they're out on the east coast of ireland mm. they're actually central to that thing mm. that's, that's mm. very interesting and uh, you know we we talked a little bit about it do you, do you think through the work of your project mm. and do you think with the advance of things like Genetic, mm. genetic mm. studies and mm. ancient DNA and things like that. Though mm. so we might be able to find out a little more about the actual people buried inside a tomb. Do you think we might see evidence of things like uh, royal dynasties, mm. for example, or, or, mm. or things like that? Do you think there's any possibility uh, of that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I, again, I'll, I'll caveat that by mm. saying that the, the, pe- the humans and animals that are find their way into passage tombs Mm-hmm. do not represent the entire community. Okay. So there's a selection process going on there from the get-go. So if, mm-hmm. if you're kind of, if your question is, what do the people in these monuments tell us about society, they're yeah. only going to tell you about a portion of society. Yes, so you have okay. to kind of, one has to bear that in mind. But yeah. that said, um, <laughs> they are a really good store, potentially, of archaeological information. And mm-hmm. in recent years, um, archaeological, Archaeological scientific information, so okay. <laughs> things like um, ancient DNA, mm-hmm. um, isotope analysis. So that's looking mm-hmm. at kind of the bone chemistry and things like um, well, bone, but also tooth, tooth enamel stuff like that. So there's a, a whole range of scientific techniques which can tell you uh, what their diets were like. So um, more marine based, more terrestrial based. Mm-hmm. Um, higher in nitrogen, which might be manuring, but of course, I mean higher protein or f- higher in fish, things like that. Um, if pe- and looking at kind of the, the, the stress indicators of, of health on the bone, they can tell you maybe if, if individuals were undergoing a period of stress or you know their okay. general health population, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Ancient DNA, while it's not part of this particular project, I know colleagues um, in Trinity College, for example, mm-hmm. are, are at the moment doing fascinating work and getting good uh, yields of ancient DNA because it's obviously the further back in time you go, yes. um, the more likely these these chemical information, these source information can break down. They just yes. don't survive. Yeah. But yeah. I, th- I think, yeah, they're having good success. So really some of those questions will definitely be coming more and more to the fore um, in, in the years, I suppose, the next couple of years. And I think our challenge as archaeologists and probably society as a whole is to take that data and ask kind of proper questions of it. So we yeah. need to, to test yeah. our models. Again, this it's I think it's quite easy to slip into the assumption of, you know, elites and dynasties. And that's fine, they, they yeah. might be dynasties. Uh-huh. But we need to ask ourselves, well what what would a dynasty look like archaeologically? Or what, genetically, yeah. what what does a dynasty look like? You know, is there something in your genetic makeup that says maybe, oh I don't know, you were you're only breeding with a more select group of society <laughs> yeah, or that yeah. your health was higher or, or better because you, maybe you did less work, something like that. Or maybe so everyone that, in there is related. Indeed, indeed. That could be yeah. more evidence of it as well. But it, yeah. it's, mm. it's exciting uh, and a little bit almost kind of nerve-wracking mm. that these tools might soon be available yeah. to us that, mm. you know, We've had to live with uh, quite a sparse jigsaw of evidence yeah, in some definitely. some yeah, senses, yeah, and, yeah. and these are a few more pieces that are about yeah. to land in the box. It's a very exciting mm. time, and 
in terms of people, how people use these tunes mm. on a daily basis, mm. do you think that they were primarily a repository for the dead, or were they like temples first, mm. you know, tombs mm. second, or how, how do you think that, um, you know, what, what do you think the role was almost? Is it possible yeah. to answer that? It is, well, yes, kind of. <laughs> I think they had lots of roles. Mm. Um, and again, another thing to be aware of looking back through time is that we see the finished object or we see a static yes, yeah. fossilized form. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I think our, our sense, our modern sense of, of building projects is skewed because we, we think of a, a finished building, you know, like mm-hmm. an office block or a, even a church or a cathedral. Mm-hmm. It's something that starts at a particular period in time. There's a blueprint, a template and boom, it's finished, you know in a year five years ten years so we i think that's one thing to be really careful of these are yeah. very much processes yeah so we see lots of evidence for earlier structures or um, earlier alignments or recycled monuments so they're mm. constantly in flux people mm. are maybe adding to them you know over a period of years or even decades and um, possibly even centuries and continually changing them according to what's necessary you know socially Mm-hmm. So um, that's one thing. When you think of, you know, are they a tomb or a temple? That's a very kind of almost um, architectural. Yes, yeah, yes, it's an architectural yes. thing. Yes. So no, the same thing. At the same time, they are they are boxes in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you mentioned cathedrals earlier, and I think mm. it's it is still a really useful analogy. If you take mm-hmm. a walk through any big cathedral, and I was in London the other week, and I went to St Paul's, oh, the first time I've been meaning to go for years. And we were just strolling around it, and that's it's it's really close to what I think these these places how they operated. Mm-hmm. So you have yes, you've got people buried there. Quite often you've got kind of you know that higher upper echelons of society, and that they've either paid their way in mm-hmm. to get buried in St Paul's, or there's some association. They're, they're they're highly ranked within their in their community for for whatever reason. So you have got human remains in there. However, it's also a place where service, um, yeah. a mass or a service mm-hmm. takes place. Um, you have got um, distinctions of space, so there's areas where only certain people can go, okay. where there's er- and there's os- other areas where you know greater numbers can go. So there's difference in access. Um, there's continual building, modification. Mm-hmm. Um, different times of the year are different foci for you yeah. know heightened rituals. So all of these things, I think it's it's valid to to apply to passage teams and, and think of that. So there, there would have been busy places, uh-huh. um, possibly never finished in that sense, always yeah. always under construction or always being being tweaked to serve the purpose um, that was most needed at the time. Um, but definitely human remains do feature in them, so I, I'm not kind of talking about no, it. No, I, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it in that kind of way, uh, mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. that essentially what we're talking about, even though they might be five or 6,000 years old, mm-hmm these are people you know mm. they had the same requirements yeah, that yeah. we have not only for places to be mm. buried with yeah. dignity and honor yeah. and so on um but also places to mark you know parts of people's mm. life your baptism your you know your mm. confirmation and all of that maybe for for us kind of modern day catholics and such yeah. but um it's it's interesting to kind of think about well what rituals might somebody have had throughout their life uh, as they're growing up and was, what role did the passage mm. to play in that there's actually speaking of st paul's there was a lovely um exhibition on and I was kind of wandering around taking staff mm-hmm. but there was a phrase from that that really really caught my imagination I think it's a lovely description potentially of, of what passage teams meant um, mm-hmm. a container for the uncontainable 
So well, these yeah, things in our lives as humans that mm-hmm. you know we need to mark um, yes. in some way, whether it is rites of passage, where mm-hmm. it is, where whether it's the the seasons or whether it's kind of traumas in society or, or big yeah. shifts, um, passage tombs and other monuments like that become focal points, you know, mm-hmm. ways to almost kind of instruments in that sense, ways to mediate what happens to you being a human living in you know on this planet. Well that's it, it, it and just being in that space or mm. in proximity that mm. to that space puts you in mm. a certain mental yeah, space yeah, where yeah, you're yeah. thinking about some of these things yeah, as well. Absolutely. So yeah reminders yeah, yeah it, mm. that, that's mm. really interesting mm. I think. And you know I, I suppose one of the the key things mm. uh, and an island does it particularly well particularly mm. the Bond Valley again mm. is mm. megalithic art. Mm. Mm. You know yep. it it's incredible whether it's the the wealth that we have at Nowth or, mm-hmm. or the complexity you see it for example at the entrance stone at the yeah, Newgrange yeah. um, I've got to say Lock Crew is my own mm. personal favorite yeah. I think it's, yeah. it, it's absolutely beautiful do you think I, I know it's always hard to find meaning mm. uh, with archaeology and it, it's even harder to find meaning in something that we don't mm. have any common language yes. you know we don't yeah. share um, a common culture in that kind of way. Do you think there's any ways that we we might understand mm. a little bit more about art? Does it tell us, mm. uh, do we see different types of art repeated in different places? Is, is there anything we can kind of, any clues we can get from it? Beyond? Yeah, no, definitely. I think there's there's lots you can do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, first, but if, if we're looking for, you know, some sort of Da Vinci Code kind of, you know, yeah, secret or Rosetta there's, Stone. There's, yeah, there's not going to be Rosetta Absolutely. Stone. No, yeah. It's, yeah. it's not going to happen. And, and I think nor should we seek it in a way because mm-hmm. uh, part of the the magic of, of being around in particular the Boyne Valley and mm-hmm. if you're there on a you know a, a sunny day in the middle of summer and, and there's loads of tourists everyone is is bringing their own uh, meaning their own vision yes. so it's lovely yeah. to see that it sparks conversation yeah. it sparks um imagination which is lovely however alongside that you definitely can can study in more depth and more systematically as you say uh, the locations of the art and mm-hmm. um, the 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 stone types the lithologies that mm-hmm. these motifs are placed on and there's definite patterns you know certain stones that have been selected mm-hmm. either for their color um, for their inclusions for their lithology mm-hmm. maybe for their source mm-hmm. um, and there's definite patterns in in where certain types of motifs continually occur, so mm-hmm. at the entrance, at the midpoint, at these so-called junctures or, or, or sill stones, um, there seems to be a heavy emphasis on the right-hand side of these monuments, so okay. um, structural stones or chambers um, tend to be more highly decorated, mm-hmm. it's definitely in the, in the Boyne tombs, but also the some of the other monuments in the East Coast. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's definite, um, and lots of this work is you know is already in train mm-hmm. um so i think we can get much closer to maybe appreciating the world view of the people that created this yes yeah. by being more attentive to uh, to texture to color to position all mm-hmm. these sorts of things Absolutely. um and i th- yeah i think it's re- really valuable mm-hmm. that's what we're and, and I suppose, like, uh, going hand in hand with that and trying to extrapolate meaning, uh, one of the focuses mm. of passage tombs, and particularly we see it every winter mm. at the solstice, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. is the orientation yes. um, mm. aspect. Um, how much do you mm. think uh, that is, you know, there's a lot of focus mm. on it, or it feels like the, mm. there's a great public interest yeah. in that, I, I think, which is, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, 
But not all passage tombs have an orientation, no. do they? No, actually, yeah. surprisingly few. Mm. Um, uh, when you count it all up, <laughs> as yeah. people have done. So um, the work of Frank Prendergast, who yes. did a really yeah. systematic yeah. study. He he comes from that discipline. He's an engineer himself. That's right. Yeah. So he's he's all about his his lines and his angles and his alignments. Mm. And he systematically did um all of the passage tombs on the island of Ireland, mm. and I think something like only seventeen percent of them, something surprisingly small, are astronomically aligned. You know, so it's have this you know Newgrange style you know you know solstice, solstice. exactly that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, we can really lose sight of that, especially, as you say, in the sometimes the media frenzy around the midwinter. Well, that's uh, it. Yeah, it, it does get such focus. Mm. I mean, mm. I, I have to say every... I, I live on uh, in Clamel, down oh, in yeah, South yeah, Tipperary, yeah. so yeah. not too far away from us is the lovely tomb at Knock Row yeah, yeah, that yeah, Morris yeah. excavated. Yeah. And every yeah. winter solstice, yeah. when the weather's good, yeah. you have people gathering there, mm. eating mince pies, drinking oh, mulled yeah. wine, you know, yeah. gathering as a community. Yeah. Yeah, in a sense, nice. to celebrate mm. it. Um, but I, I often think perhaps the, there's an overemphasis, mm. just generally speaking, as you say, with, mm. with the media and such, mm. looking at the, the alignment. And uh, mm. it, it is interesting to note that. And I, mm. Frank's work, I think, is invaluable in, yeah. in understanding that. Um, I suppose one question that has always occurred to me, and, and maybe it, it, I'm incorrect in, in the way I'm thinking about it, but it seems that, you know, looking at the tombs of the Boyne Valley, the ones we, we, we've talked about, the New Grange and Nelson and so on, they're at the later end yes. of the chronology. Yeah. So yeah. They ten, uh, they've reached the very height, mm. and then it seems that people stop mm. building them. Is, is that true? Did people, they, uh, why, or if it is true, why do you think people stop building <laughs> them just when they got the most yeah. elaborate? We're not going to beat that. Yeah. Is that, that well, it is? Again, I think there's, there's a danger in overemphasizing the, the architectural. So when uh, okay. you say stop building. Yes. Um okay, they're not slapping up additional orthostats, standing stones, mm-hmm. additional chambers. They're not, you know, going building an ever bigger monument or expanding the curve. But activity does not stop at places like New Grinch and Ed. So they okay. the um the focus shifts more into mm-hmm. the outside. You mm-hmm. see um, more open air structures, so timber circles, pit alignments, all that sort of yeah. um, activity. And at the moment, we don't have a perfect chronology, we don't have all the radiocarbon dates, but it doesn't look like there's much of a pause. So I would say okay. the nature of activity shifts. Okay. Um, and the focus becomes more, much more on the outside. And you see that across mm-hmm. passage tombs in general. Um, the, the curbs, so those really elaborate um, encircling stone curbs. They're mm-hmm. not on all passage tombs. They're particularly on the later ones. Yeah. And again, these mega mounds that you see in the Boyne stuff. Yeah. Um, it's only in those sites where you have this external um, activity. Almost mm-hmm. like, and again, I have colleagues who, who argue this, that um, they're designed for larger and larger groups to kind of congregate around the outside. So yes, it's maybe okay. less about what's going on on the inside in the kind yeah. of hidden away secret bit. And it's more about the big gatherings outside. So That's there's really lots of evidence. Um, passage tombs become, in in that sense, kind of very sticky. You know, so so yeah. meaning is continually built up mm-hmm. and up and up, um, through the later Neolithic, um, into the Bronze Age, mm-hmm. and they don't lose their power. Mm-hmm. As to why they they have switched, you know, they stopped lugging the big buildings, yeah, chunks of stone around. Various people have, have kind of put forward um, suggestions. Again, they need to be tested. Mm-hmm. Um, some would say, well, there was, 
you know, it just got too much, this this uh, conspicuous competitive consumption, you know, mm-hmm. something got to give. So, it, it, you know, it ultimately bankrupted societies or they just couldn't um, give their all. And, and you see some of those examples ethnographically, anthropologically, mm-hmm. where you mm-hmm. have these uh, increasing ever and ever bigger kind of displays of, of power status. Yeah. Definitely um, valid, but I would... I'd like to see some evidence of that in the archaeological record, if you know what I mean. So uh, to back up that hypothesis. So it's about yeah. backing up the theories. But it's de- yes, yeah, definitely yeah. possible. And to go back yeah. to the analogy of cathedrals, I mean, mm. how many cathedrals have we built in the yeah. last 200 years? You know, yeah. It, it, yeah. not many. Yeah, exactly. So perhaps yeah. maybe in 5,000 yeah. years' time, there'll be somebody having a discussion about... Yes, uh, this great cataclysm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 what happened then. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And do you think that... Um, what mm. do you feel that... Mm. Uh, you know, mm. outside of your own research and what mm. you're looking at at the moment, mm. what are the big questions that you'd love to delve into? And do you think mm. things like some of these new techniques that we already mentioned, like mm. ancient DNA and such, will mm. be the ways to answer them? What would you love to, to find out in the yeah. future, do you think? I think it's, it's about, um, yeah, more, more data. Obviously, <laughs> 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 you know, that's limitless. There's, there's always... Um, you know, if money was no object, more and more data. But I think I think we have to return to our social models. I think we mm-hmm. have to be much more aware of maybe more old-fashioned or more Eurocentric or heteronormative versions of what people in the past were doing. So okay. um, it be, I guess, especially in prehistory, actually, because it's so fragmentary, because there's so such, mm-hmm. such you know, a... a, a, a a fragmentary jigsaw um, mm-hmm. it can be really easy to to put your own cultural viewpoint on the past yes, and to stamp it yeah, and to yeah. kind of say that this is the way it happened and yeah. be, i'm an archaeologist so you just all have to believe me yeah and i think um with with the data especially some of the genetic stuff that's really overturning ideas of movement and mobility migration all those things we need to go we need to kind of check ourselves and go back to our our, our narrative and say okay is that something that we is backed up by the evidence yeah. or is this is just me you know as as a white european deciding that this is how it was in the past because i come from a certain kind of social circle in society and things like that so yeah, yeah. um yeah being a bit more critical of ourselves as uh-huh. as, as anthropologists yeah. um and also as you know as, as this data comes out i suppose I suppose it's a, it's a wider turn in heritage as well. Mm. People are much more switched on and the, the information that comes out is, is tends to be more and more accessible. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we are no longer archaeologists, I suppose, the, the gatekeepers of the secrets of the past. Yes. I think that's a really positive step mm-hmm. uh, change in that. So I think, yeah, we, again, we have to try harder to make sure uh, we explain ourselves properly in that that our stories aren't built on lazy imaginings of what we think the past was about. Trying to get back to that holy grail of being an objective observer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Now, yeah. nobody can ever be an objective observer because you have, you know, you you're situated where, yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. Um, that's fine. But um, I think more, uh, more dialogue with, you know, anthropologists studying living societies with ancient mm-hmm. DNA, mm-hmm. um, specialists who mm-hmm. you know who, we're all only dealing with part of the puzzle and i think we need yeah. more conversations more collaboration yeah to open that up um and to start to break down those barriers so 
So that yeah, I mean, it might sound a bit of a, a woolly. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I think I think it's it's good, and it's getting back to uh, you know the people behind the passage mm-hmm. tombs. So Jessica, where can people find out a little bit more about your project? Uh, yeah, so there's a project website, um, passagetombpeople.com. So that mm. will tell you all well about the yeah the aims and objectives and the project um, and the, the funder, I should mention the funder, the Irish Research Council. This is funded under their laureate scheme. Um, yeah, so that'll give you all the, the updates. Um, I, I blog fairly regularly on kind of news and you know where I travel to kind oh, of sample sure. and things like that. So I think that would be the best way to keep track of the project as it develops. And mm. just to finish, because yep. I ask everyone, yes. and, it, and it, it's a little bit like Sophie's Choice sometimes. All right, yeah. What's your favourite? Site. What's your favourite passage to? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh my lord! Oh. I well, okay. Um, I might have to be a big, a big cliche and, and say Newgrange because mm-hmm. I was super lucky in two thousand and nine. I think it was mm-hmm. to experience the oh, wow. there. Wow. Um, so yeah. I was working on the the research framework for the Bend of the Bourne for the World Heritage Site. Uh-huh. Um. And I was I was sn- snuck in as a kind of a thank you for my work in it. And the su- the sunshine I brought my mother oh, <laughs> as my what plus one. Um, yeah, so yeah. that you know I know it, it is the most impressive one, and I was trying to think of a you know a more le- a less obvious choice, but yeah, that was that was phenomenal, and I was acutely aware at, of, of being kind of yeah one of these very very lucky individuals that got that amazing opportunity because even if you go in as we know with yeah. the lottery system which again is is, yeah. is a once in a gosh i don't know what the odds are in that yeah. you can be unlucky with the cloud on the morning but and, it, it and, and more time shine. more times than not it you are shine. unlucky yeah. it, it doesn't shine given that it's midwinter in ireland yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's an so, incredible thing yeah. and i think it's one of those yeah. few circumstances you can really have a tangible connection yeah, with somebody that absolutely, lived absolutely years it's ago. the dir- yeah direct you've seen thing. the same thing and think yeah it's yeah. it's such it's such a thrill now it, it's not just about that experience there's plenty of ways where you can link oh, into the past That's, uh, you absolutely know, you don't all have to but no yeah. no but it, it, it is a it, yeah. it is something very Amazing. special yes and it's yeah maybe maybe it was a sign maybe it was meant to do this project <laughs> <There we laughs> the, the boy in valley was encouraging me to continue research the gods of the boy <laughs> indeed yes yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> listen jessica thank you so much for that i thought thank that was you. really fascinating great fun. thank you okay. enjoyed this edition of Amplify Archaeology and I want to thank Jessica for her time and insights. I thought it was a really fascinating discussion. You can find more about Jessica's project on her website at passagetombpeople.com and you can find links and photographs of some of the things that we discussed on our website at abataheritage.ie.